skeptical about custom beauty, honestly, y'all, I totally get it. My feed is flooded with customize this and personalize that, all promising, you know, to fix all of our beauty, hair, and skin problems. Truthfully, I was so skeptical when I saw this brand, but I'm a total believer now. When pros says custom, they actually mean it. Their products are no gimmicks, and your formula couldn't exist without you. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skin care is made to order and personalized with unique blends of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals. And they get personal. Pro's covers everything from your concerns to diet, exercise, and stress levels to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. Did you know, for example, that Minneapolis has like weirdly hard water, which apparently was affecting my hair. So like some of the ingredients that they put into my hair care was to like deal with the fact that we have hard water. Wow. I love that. They also asked me things like, you know, because I have had a baby recently, like, am I still breastfeeding? What are my hair goals? And I also really appreciated they asked like, how much effort do you want to put into your hair? Yeah, <laughs> because like I'm at the point, you know, I used to let, yeah, I used to do those, you know, put effort into my appearance, but now it's like, I just want to be able to walk out of the door without feeling self-conscious. Um, I, this is truly such a genuine endorsement. So I've really enjoyed using these products. But don't just take our word for it. In a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised control clinical trial, this is like the gold standard of all of these trials, Pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash justbreakup. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash justbreakup for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas, pros.com slash justbreakup. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like body hair, the pains of not being codependent, Mm. and when our friends get back with their awful exes. (laughs) But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that Sierra and I are not mental health practitioners, relationship health practitioners, We are just practitioners in the school of life, and that's it. 
Yeah, we are not professionals. We are not trained in this. These are just our opinions. And sometimes they're barely that. So please take our advice as you see <laughs> Sometimes fit. we just like have to pick a thing that yeah. we say. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. And also, I don't like, know, maybe in a minute I'll disagree <laughs> with what I just said. <laughs> I have honestly had like night sweats over the fact that I probably disagree with like half of my advice in different contexts. You know what I mean? Or like, <laughs> yeah, because sure. we just answer letters that are just so one-sided, whatever. Anyway, this is all to say, please take our advice as you see fit. Disagree with it agree with it forget about it whatever we are only here to offer our humble musings more humble every day um to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love all right sam this week's check-in topic is charming and important it's about (laughs) my two favorite things (laughs) we want to check in about communicating over text message and how unreliable it is in terms of like misreading tone and intention. You know, Mm. I I remember when emojis became a thing and I was like, Oh, I guess these are fun. But now I realize like they're pretty important sometimes in terms of like (laughs) communicating tone, like read any of Britney Spears's Instagram posts. And you know that emojis are (laughs) deeply important to communicating. Yeah. And also, um, you know, like how punctuation can change things, whatever, and how we all read text messages differently. We all read the tone of a message differently. And if we think we communicated the tone, it it's so subjective. So what mm-hmm. inspired this check-in topic is that, uh, so Spencer and I recently watched all of the Marvel movies in the Marvel universe. And so we've started to slowly branch out into the Marvel television shows. Um, sure, sure, sure. Like WandaVision, oh my God, it was so good. And he just watched Loki and he texted me the other day and said, oh, I'm starting Loki. You should check it out. I was like, cool. And then a couple of days later, he's like, I finished Loki. It was actually pretty good. You should watch it. And I said, okay, okay. Uh, Like, I guess I'll have to start it or something. And he was like, well, you don't have to. And, but I was like, no, no, no. I meant it like, okay, okay. I guess I have to start it. <laughs> All right. And so like I spent a couple of minutes explaining to him, you know, trying to find like an enthusiastic gif, you know, where it was like, okay. <laughs> and not just like, okay. Uh, right, right, right. And then funny story, like a week later, <laughs> I was telling him about my new kitchen remodel that's finally done that I love so much. And I was like, yeah, man, like a good kitchen island. I just like get off to. And he texted me back, LOL. Okay. Okay. And I was like, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Good kitchen island. And he was like, no, no, I meant more like, whoa, slow down. You talked about getting off to a, a kitchen island. Like, okay. Slow down, buddy. Uh-huh. And I was like, man, this is a perfect example because I had actually texted him. Yeah, that's the okay I was trying to say a week ago. He's like, no, you're misunderstanding <laughs> me again. <laughs> so we're talking like four different types of okays in this, you know, small pl- like universe of conversation. So that prompted the idea of how hard it is to correctly interpret text messages. What what piece of Uh, genius advice can you give us about that or insight (laughs) don't text people (laughs) that's that's not the solution um i think it's just it's important for us to remember that like a significant amount of communication is not about the words that we're saying to each other right it's about how we say the words and also remembering too that like 
so much of that unwritten stuff is also like really culturally based as well. Yes. So like I might be using a particular inflection or using a particular facial expression and you might interpret those things as being very different than I meant them to be interpreted. So like, again, like the thing that we, that we need to be doing is like not making assumptions about like what other people are saying and like yeah. what it means. So like, yeah. how are we being curious as opposed to being like, Oh, that tone was weird. That person must be really mad at me, which is like my constant state of being <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh, everyone's mad at me all the time. Great. Um, and I can read into whatever anyone texts me and it's being like, yep, that's a confirmation that I've done something wrong and they yeah, are mad yeah, at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> right? just going to say, it's so hard not to read into it because I think we've adapted so much as a society to uh, virtual communication, you know, and, and texting that we think it should be as intuitive and as smooth as face-to-face -face communication, which is also difficult, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. For but sure. We, we expect texting to be, I guess much more fluid um, than, it is, than it really is. And it's hard to stop a text conversation and be like, and how did you mean that? You know, it's like mm -hmm. a little embarrassing and clumsy, but it's so necessary sometimes. Yeah, for sure. It's like, it's only clumsy and awkward because we're not practiced at it, right? Yeah. But like, if we start practice doing it more and more, it becomes less awkward because it's just like, oh yeah, that's right. This is how we communicate with each other. Yeah. Is being like, I'm reading something into the thing that you just sent. Can you like, can you help me understand what you meant by it? Or like, what did you mean by that? Like, even just like those types of questions can, can prevent us from like stewing. Yes. Because like, honestly, for me, like texting is such a, like a facsimile of like actual connection. Totally. Like it like kind of looks like it, but it's not actually because all I'm doing is just pouring all of this like emotion into it. And all I'm getting back is just like, tiny words on a page and it's like so challenging to know what the other person is thinking or feeling or even to like get into depth and context about that kind of stuff because it's like well who wants to write like a seven paragraph thing over text right yeah like who wants to like go into depth of like here's what I meant here's how I was supposed to, I meant to say it like here's like yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. so it's so quick and it is like it doesn't leave a whole lot of space for folks to be able to like fully articulate things that are that are happening for them and going on for them so it's like the fact that now dating is like done a hundred percent over text is just so wild to me yeah. like it was that way when I was dating too but it's just so texting is such a like challenging and inaccurate way to like connect with people yeah that it's it's, it's a no wonder to me strangers. why dating is so challenging. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. I have two 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 things. The first one's a funny um confession. I remember in a past relationship, my ex was like, uh, is it just me or do you always text me in all lowercase when you're mad at me? Uh in like short lowercase sentences. And I was like, oh no, no, no. It's because, and this is true. Uh I was like texting him back on my iMessage thing on my computer and it was like automatically lowercase. Mm -hmm. And also I was mad. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like, no, no, it's when I text you on my computer app, you know, which and then yeah. but I didn't confess that it was that I I also subconsciously did it. I'd be like, okay, <laughs> no punctuation, <laughs> no capitalization. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, leads me is a great segue into my next point or question, which is do you find yourself adjusting the way you text to 
like meet the other person's emotional needs. Do you know what I mean? Or like match mm-hmm. their their use of punctuation and emojis and things like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. If you start texting me with a bunch of emojis, I will I will respond with a bunch of emotion or emojis, even though like I don't use emojis that often. <laughs> totally. I think it's like uh, one, this should be like a form of uh, communication that's studied, you know, like the way mm-hmm. we the way we mirror the other person's digital communication style. And it's all, it reminds me of like how you end a work email, like how many explanation, the, the balance between exclamation points and periods, you know, like so that you don't come off as like, I don't know, passive aggressive. Yeah, I want to be, I want to come off as like excited, but not psychotic. Right? <laughs> yes, like- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't that a funny way of, of, I don't know, ebbing and flowing in communication that like that I guess this is a perfect testament to the check-in topic how nebulous and and inconsistent text messages can be to accurately convey tone if you have to think about how many exclamation points you use or if it's capitalized or if it's all caps or you know like it's just funny the 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 scope of emotion that that we rely on in these tiny little symbols. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I also think about like, even in having this whole conversation about like how difficult it is to, to convey communication over text and also like thinking about how we use nonverbal stuff too. Like I'm also just like, it's coming to mind of like also how sort of like a neurotypical that conversation yes, is too totally. around like the idea of like, yeah, we read into people's emotions through these things and like, if you are, if you have like a uh, neurodivergence, then like that can also be really challenging too. Totally. So again, it's like, how are we being curious and clear with each other about like what we're trying to say with the stuff that we're trying to say as well. Um, and recognize that like miscommunication in all different forms of communication is inevitable. Mm. And so like, what what can we do to like notice our own patterns around like how we are trying to convey things to people and also like be really curious about other people's patterns around the, how they're doing it too, yeah. in a way to like mitigate some of that miscommunication and in a way to be like more inclusive of folks yeah. who like may struggle to read body language or understand like tone in in how things are articulated. So like, let's just do that. That sounds great. <laughs> That's my solution. <laughs> yeah. That's like the the only solution of this check-in topic. Like it's less of a question and more of a rumination about for sure the challenges of this. But yeah, so good job. Want to get into our letters? <laughs> Thank you. Yes, let's do it. All right, our first letter comes from unwaxed and conflicted, whose pronouns are she/her, and who is writing from Getting No Head, USA. Hey, Sam and Sierra. First, thank you both for your vulnerability and willingness to extend compassion and understanding to us letter writers. I love you both. And your podcast has brought me so much joy, laughter and crying like a baby in my car. Heart emoji. So here's the situation. I'm a 25 year old female dating a 25 year old man. Let's call him Aaron. We've only recently started exclusively dating and have an overall great relationship and sex life. We're very communicative in our relationship and in the bedroom. And recently we've had the issue of Aaron not going down on me at all come up. He doesn't want to go down on me because I don't shave or wax and because he hates body hair. I mean, he hates it. He shaves more than I do, which is fine because that's his body. 
I'm conflicted because I don't have an issue shaving. I shave everywhere else besides my vagina. My inner feminist is screaming, crying, and throwing up because why is he withholding giving me head because of my body hair? He's a very emotionally mature person, so this was kind of a red flag and shocking to me when it came up. I ended up shaving because I'm willing to make that compromise for us to have a more equal sexual relationship, but I can't shake him saying he hates my body hair when I've swallowed this man's loads many times with zero complaints. Am I being a bad feminist? Did I overcompromise? Was I right to put off our sexual relationship over my feminism and personal bodily preferences? Any advice, tough love, or affirmation would be amazing. All right, my darling, unwaxed and conflicted. Thank you so much for writing and listening and for trusting us with this letter. I want to just start by saying you're not a bad feminist. That doesn't like there's no like feminist test that you have to like pass and you mail it in and then you get like the feminist badge and you get the feminist badge taken away when you shave your, you know, pubic hair. Or no, but, like, we're gonna have to talk about pubes a lot, so you're gonna have to like yeah, get yeah, okay yeah, with yeah, using yeah, that yeah. word. Oh no, no! I, literally, I was gonna, I was gonna say pussy, but like not everybody <laughs> is okay with that word, and like it's like you know, what, so that's why I was like, that's why I stuttered on the p, literally. Um, <laughs> Got it. Okay, now I understand. <laughs> <laughs> There's no like feminist pubic hair measure that comes around and is like, well, tell me, let me measure your lawn so to say so to speak um to to let you keep this feminist badge i'm just gonna keep going until you interrupt me anyway (laughs) i'm just just gonna let you go (laughs) listen letter writer you're not a bad feminist i mean this is a part of interpersonal relationships this is a part of your body i i I just want to relieve you of that sam and i can talk about the anti-feminist uh oppressive History of body hair removal, um, uh, the racist history of it, and we can always connect these back to feminist ideals, but I think that it is inherently anti-feminist to say, wow, I'm being pressured by all of these things around me, and I'm going to call myself a bad feminist because I, I don't know, give in to the environment that I was born into, or or I don't know, want to have sex with my partner, <laughs> I, I just mm-hmm. want to take away the blame from you is what I'm trying to say. Uh, no. And I think it's important for us to also like situate this in a context, which is that like, yeah, you and he have been socialized to believe particular things about, about gender and bodies. Right. And like the expectations and roles that go into that too. Right. Like he's allowed to take oral sex off the table because he doesn't like the fact that you have pubic hair. Whereas like, you're just sort of expected to swallow this man's loads over and over again, right? Like taking oral sex off the table isn't necessary. And that's like the social conditioning that we're, that we're ingrained in, right? Like this idea of like how bodies are supposed to work and like whose job it is to like bite the bullet and do the thing that they don't want to do. And like what's on the table, what's off the table. And like, I think that that is more of the issue that I'm seeing here, right? Like the body hair thing is like you get to make decisions about how you want to to yes. to treat your body hair. Like that's that's what the feminism is here. <laughs> My issue is that like it seems like the the gender roles that have been constructed around sex and like who does what and how they do it and whether or not they have the right to complain about it is like pervading your relationship. Yes. yes. Um and I don't know that there's like a solution to that besides just like noticing that it's happening yes. and asking questions about like 
are we comfortable with the fact that like this is how things are playing out yeah. in this relationship that like you just have to swallow his loads but he gets to decide whether or not to go down on you because he doesn't like body hair <laughs> like, yeah I'm okay. so glad you okay I'm so glad you said that about like because I don't know if there's like the I don't have like a direct solution for you unwaxed but I want to like muse with you and um and empower you to not feel like a bad feminist and not feel like a bad uh person or girlfriend or or whatever um I think I agree for me it's 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 a little complicated because we can always point personal preference back to oppressive uh, powers. You know, we can always point personal preference back to the systems that we're born and raised in, you know, that we are steeped in, whether we consent to it or not. And mm -hmm. also people have physical preferences when it comes to like oh my god i really like man buns or i really like uh -huh. facial hair i don't like facial hair or i really like those muscles that like connect the neck to the shoulders that make people look like they can't really move their necks a lot or whatever <laughs> you know like we it's all have specific, our, yes. i'm just trying to like paint a picture that <laughs> we all have these things that we're attracted to right and i think that your boyfriend has a right to have like hit this this uh, this anti-attraction or or whatever or personal preference or you don't know why I don't know why he doesn't like body hair like maybe he has some weird maybe he has like a traumatic experience with it or something whatever but for me it's less about this person's right to have a personal preference um and it because I don't want him to have to do something physically he doesn't want to do and also it's more for me about would I feel compatible with somebody who has these preferences and makes them enacts them so rigidly, like literally mm. you don't like body hair and you're not going to go down on me. Good luck for the rest of your <laughs> life as a recently pregnant person. Like I could not see my pubes for like four months. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm just saying like, you know, it's not about saying he doesn't have a right to these preferences. It's about how do I feel compatible with someone who would enact these preferences so rigidly, especially mm -hmm. in a way that has historical contexts, has has context of oppressiveness, you know, has context of like, you know, women are just taught so much to hate their bodies in every single way, upside down and backwards, especially when it comes to what we culturally see as like anti-femininity, which is often like, I don't know, natural bodily states and functions. So for sure. For I, sure. That's, that's why I was glad you said like, I don't really know if there's like a solution or like whatever, because for me, it's just more like an ongoing conversation with yourself. It doesn't make you a bad feminist though. Unwax. It doesn't make mm -hmm. you a bad feminist to be with somebody who ev evokes these conversations um, and it doesn't necessarily make him a bad feminist either. Not, I have no idea what his personal identification or politics or personal, I don't know, morals are, but it's up to you. How does it make you feel? And you do have a right to say, listen, I'm happy to shave my pussy. <laughs> you know, I'm happy to shave my pubes <laughs> for you so that you feel more comfortable to do this. And also it makes me uncomfortable that you're holding this boundary so rigidly because it kind of reinforces what I've been taught 
my whole life, which is that I'm gross and that my natural body as is, is gross and undesirable and also like grow up, (laughs) you know? Right. Absolutely. I think that sex too, like all sorts of aspects of relationships are about doing things that aren't our favorite because our partner likes those things. Right. And that doesn't mean like being forced to or being coerced into, but like making the intentional choice to like make compromises to like do the thing that our partner wants to. And the question is, whose job is it to be the flexor? Wow. Right? Whose job is it to do the flexing? And in this right now, it sounds like your job is to do the flexing and his job is to get exactly what he wants. Right. Like your job is to swallow loads without complaint. Your job is to shave your your. Yes. <laughs> I cannot say the word pussy. I can't say it. Okay. I don't like it's it. I don't like it. It's not for everybody. That's why I hesitated. Um, it, it's not even for me all the time. Just like in this moment. <laughs> right. Like uh, there are a few words for vagina that I am comfortable with because they are also like tiny animally. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> what words do you like? Let's go there, Sam Blackwell. I want to hear no, this. No, we're just going to say We're going to say <laughs> vagina. Or pubes. Time out. The other day, (laughs) I was bathing my newborn daughter for the first time. And Willow, Mm -hmm. my wife, was like, we need to start. Like, obviously, she's five weeks old. She doesn't understand what we're saying. But we were talking about how we're going to, like, use anatomical names for things. Like, this is your vulva, you know, whatever. And so I was like, Willow's like, you got to tell her. You got to use those names. So (laughs) I was like... I was like washing my daughter and I was like, this is your vulva and this is your butthole. (laughs) (laughs) Butthole. (laughs) That's the anatomically correct name for it. (laughs) And then we laughed for years, years and years we laughed. (laughs) Well, it's a joke about buttholes. So I can imagine that Willow found that very funny. She was tickled. She was basically like, how well do you love me? (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Uh, that was like weird aside, but. No, absolutely. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. Um, Yeah, no, the issue here for me is that you're the one doing all of the flexing and that he's being pretty inflexible, which, again, is about the rigid roles that we prescribe to the ways in which particularly men and women are asked to participate in sexual relationships, which is that the men get what they want and the women are required to do it in whatever way the man wants to do it at whatever time he wants to do it and all of these different things. So. That's more of my frustration. And that's the question that I'm going to ask you yes. to think about is like not whether or not shaving your pubes is anti-feminist because like I that's not a it's, real thing. It's not. <laughs> I mean, it is a real thing in that like. Yeah. No, no. The, you don't I understand the question. <laughs> yeah. OK. <laughs> but the question here is more for me about like how are the gender roles operating in such a way that like you have to be the one that that constantly is is flexing and that he seems to get like unfettered access to the type of sex that he wants in the way that he wants it. Yeah. I think this is a testament to, to like who we are now versus who we are, who we were when we started the podcast. Cause I think when we started the podcast, I'd be like, fuck this dude, you know, like (laughs) he's what grow up. I, and I actually said that like five minutes ago, he doesn't need to grow up. He just like, (laughs) I don't, I don't, I'm not villainizing him at all in like my heart. I just, I, it it comes down to to this discomfort that led you, letter writer, to write to two strangers. Mm-hmm. How is this discomfort sitting on your heart? How is it being validated by you and by your partner? And can you right. go to sleep at night? You know, can you can you put this discomfort away and say, you know what, 
relationships are complicated and nuanced and we give and take a lot. And I know he respects me and loves my body. You know, like I know he respects me as a feminist, whatever. Can you can you live with this? You know, Um, Mm -hmm. I think it warrants a conversation to make sure you guys are on the same page. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you should definitely (laughs) talk about it and talk about these because the feelings that you're feeling in this, the confusion that you're feeling is like super valid. It doesn't Mm -hmm. need to be swept under the rug or hidden. Right. It's something that you both can talk about out in the open around what does this mean for your relationship? What is the context in the like broader sense of society and gender roles and all of those things? And then like finding a way to to make things work for you, which yes. is really what's what's important here. Um, where are places where you both can agree to flex towards each other? Yes, I totally agree. Thank you so much for writing. We love you. All right, y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know, I'm all about tackling our money shame and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. 
Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. <laughs> Stop wasting yeah. you money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. We don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. <laughs> Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Our next letter comes to us from Just a Girl, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing to us from Stuck in the Past. Hello, Sam and Sierra. I'm coming to you pleading for help. I began listening to your podcast during 2020 and have listened religiously since. I've loved listening to you shift and grow on each episode without apology. We are all learning and you make it feel safe for us to learn by trial, trial and error. I have been very hesitant to write to you because of that whole intro you have of and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. But I think <laughs> I'm finally ready. Getting to the juice now. I met a man in 2019 in a truly serendipitous way. He was traveling through my town on a cross-country ski trip and I accepted his request on couch surfing. The moment I opened the door and saw him, I knew I was eternally fucked. First of all, time out. I know those moments and I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I I've regretted every single one of them. <laughs> you never meet someone and you're like, oh, I'm cosmically linked to you and this is going to go great. <laughs> yeah. No, I meet somebody and I'm like, mm, you're going to hurt my feelings. I can tell it's going to be great, but I'm still going to do it. <laughs> yeah. We fell for each other fast and hard. He intended to only stay one day and ended up staying with me for over a week. We were infatuated. He's from Austria and was spending the last two weeks of his year-long visa traveling and skiing. Shortly after he left, I decided to fly to Austria to see where this love affair would take us. From there, we ended up traveling through Europe for nearly three months, having passionate sex on the beach and seeing the world. We then did long distance for the next year, traveling back and forth to see one another yet not making any long-term commitments for one place. Our relationship ended abruptly over a fight in the beginning of January 2020 and resulted in him flying back to Austria. One month later, COVID-19 happened and shut down all travel to and from the U.S. The prospect of mending things died in its wake. I should mention the love we had was not all rainbows and butterflies. Sam mentioned in a previous episode that we need to start reframing these memories we have of our exes to reflect on what was happening in our relationship, not what could have happened. Damn, that sounds really Great smart, advice. Sam. Yeah, absolutely. Way to go, me. <laughs> <laughs> the initial narrative I had been telling myself for the next two years was this, quote, we met on a whim, fell in love madly and had the most passionate, exciting relationship of my life. COVID split us up. We had plans to move to California together, blah, blah, blah. The more refined version I can tell myself now is... We met and had some serious chemistry. It was the kind of young love feeling that are akin to high school where it's all or nothing and you can't live mm. or breathe without them. I often felt happy and I often felt like he would never commit to me and that I was constantly being gaslit and neglected. I am in love with the idea of us, but truth be told, I am not sure I even know who he is anymore. Wow. That is like some. Yeah, we don't. 
We don't need to give any advice in this. (laughs) JK, fast forward to now. I have not talked to Austrian boy for nearly two years and have been in a very loving, happy relationship for the last 1.5 years. We have a dog, have committed to moving to a new city for an incredible job I just got, and have this stable, giddy, fun love. We can communicate Mm -hmm. well. He sees me, and every time we have a conflict, I feel even more reassured about our relationship after than before. In 2000, in January of 2022, I got a call from Austrian boy that shook my world. He bought a ticket, obtained a visa, and informed me that he was coming to grand gesture the shit out of me, knowing I was in a relationship. I set some hard mm. boundaries and ended up canceling last minute, absolutely crushing his heart. He is now living in another state, only a flight away. This came at a very difficult time during my current relationship where we were navigating the ebb and flow of passion in a long-term relationship and my desire to travel and explore things. Now, months later, I find myself wondering what could have been with the Austrian boy. I imagine all the spontaneous trips we could go on and all the passionate craziness we had together. It begs the age-old question of passion or a stable, healthy happy love. My therapist helped me identify something super surreal regarding this subject, which is that every relationship I have ever been in has prevented love in such a hot, passionate, fast way. Often hearing phrases such as you are the only person that makes me feel this way, quote, Mm. without you, I would be nothing or Mm. on the more toxic ends of things, quote, if you leave me, I will X, Y, and Z. Within all of these narratives, I was the only person that would bring this person happiness, etc. While it made me feel special, it was also a form of manipulation that put a lot of pressure on me to always have the right answer. Wow, I love that sentence. If I chose Mm. wrong, it would result in some all or nothing ultimatum. Now, damn, I feel like I'm in a therapy session in this letter. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm in this amazing relationship where my partner doesn't expect me to be the only one to fill his cup. I sometimes experience this as rejection or apathy. Mm. After this long-winded letter, we all know what the right choice is. I have said it many times. However, with these reoccurring feelings towards my romanticized ex, how can I cultivate more passion in my existing relationship? How do I accept his love as him giving me freedom rather than being apathetic towards me and receive it as rejection? I don't want to sacrifice my desire to have passion in my relationship, but I do want to experience freedom as such and not as him lacking desire for me. We have discussed this and he has reassured me of his love for me many times. I feel as though now it comes down to trust and a process within myself. Guys, I feel Mm. so caught in the middle and caught within myself. I know I'm not that special and need to be related to. I am desperate for your advice, reframing and or any affirmations at all. Your work literally brings me to tears. Thank you. Um, Well, thank you for writing. And I think you are very special, but you're not unique in feeling this sort of push and pull between wanting things to be hot and fiery and passionate all the time and recognizing like that that sort of constant blaze isn't necessarily super sustainable Um, and struggling to see like the good love that's in our lives because it doesn't look like what we envisioned love to look like which was trips to europe and Mm -hmm. backpacking across the world and all of this stuff right that may or may not be in line with the realities of 
what does it mean to actually like be in sustained partnership with mm-hmm. people? Um, so I think it's like very relatable that you're feeling this sort of push pull for more passion for things that we've been told love should look like. And this feeling of like, how am I recognizing that this person that is sitting here with me every single day of my life is doing the love thing, (laughs) right? Like is, is showing me love in a way that's not about like struck by lightning, but in a way that's like, here, let's grow this garden together. Yeah. Yeah. Mixing metaphors. (laughs) That's fine. Lightning garden. It's all outside. It's outside. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I want to back up and just say like, good job holding that hard boundary against Austrian boy, like, and good job writing all those like, you know, truth bombs throughout the whole letter. You've obviously really done a lot of head and heart work to empower yourself. You know, like what I love about this example is that, or like this letter is that it, it's a perfect example of how we can really work to know the truth about things. And then it still takes work to implement them. Like it's very obvious that you have worked really hard to reframe things, to give yourself a different narrative, a different script, a different perspective. Um, And it's also still really hard to like live with that, to implement it. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to point out like, what do we think passion is? Passion is buying, getting a fucking visa and a one way ticket to out of the blue to come see you. To me, that, that, screams a passionate love story on a television show but in reality doesn't that seem like a little unhinged and like unrealistic (laughs) i mean that lovingly you know like if if you even you as my friend if you were like hey i bought a ticket to come to to your house tomorrow a plane ticket i'd be like whoa okay everything okay (laughs) are you okay um I just wanted to point out that, uh, that like, which we see honestly, gra- if I did do that, you I should be, be like, concerned oh, because like, spontaneity is, is not my forte. No, definitely not. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I say that just to point out, like a lot of times what we have coded societally as passionate is unhinged or unregulated <laughs> or, or maybe not the smartest choice. Like there is, there is passion and, uh, romance in planning a trip together. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's, like like working together you know i think the sexiest thing my wife and i do is like work on our budget like that's like passionate <laughs> life building shut the fuck up sam <laughs> he just made a face at me because he's judging me um okay this is the point i want to get to get away from that <laughs> get away from that uh-huh, passion uh-huh. conversation Go ahead. Mm, budgets the budgets point- and man buns <laughs> sierra's favorite things hot uh the point i want to get to is uh you might not need to hear this, but I just want to say it that like doing the work, having a loving, trusting relationship with someone doesn't mean that we aren't going to be torn about things. Doesn't mean that when something shiny comes into our life, we're not going to be like, oh, maybe I want the shiny thing. I just want to say it doesn't make you a bad person or a bad partner or an unhinged partner or an untrustworthy partner to have this person come back into your life and feel torn about it. This, this feeling within yourself doesn't make you a bad person. It's very normal. And, and I guess the point I'm trying to make is that like this loving, stable relationship that you have, that doesn't protect us from 
life. It doesn't protect us from the shiny things that come flitting into our life that maybe think, make us think maybe this isn't what I want. Um, You're not the abnormal thing that's ruining this stable, healthy thing. This, this is just part of life. This is just responding to external stimulus, you know? Mm -hmm. And also when that shiny thing comes flitting into your life to distract you from the healthy, loving, trusting relationship that you have, it's not a sign that what you have isn't good enough. It's just, mm. it's just something passing through. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. just something, it's an opportunity for you to recommit to what you have or commit to something different. You know, just like discomfort is an opportunity for us to do something differently. Our emotions, our response, you know, the feelings that you're feeling right now about your current relationship it's an opportunity to reframe things or reapproach things or whatnot. I know you'll know this from the copious amounts of therapy that is very present in your letter. <laughs> you could be hosting this podcast, um, but I just wanted, I think I needed to hear that. A couple of times like in my life, I feel like people have come back into my life to quote unquote, like challenge me. You know, they come back into my life at a time in which I'm really stable or I'm pursuing somebody else or whatever. And then they like pop up and are like, you want to be with me? The, the inconsistent, great sex, (laughs) long distance asshole, you know, or whatever. And I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. no, I want to build this thing, you know? Uh, And younger me was like, oh, maybe it's a sign that I need to be with them. It's not a sign. It's not a sign. (laughs) It's an opportunity (laughs) It's an opportunity to recommit to yourself. Okay. Right. Save me, Sam. Right. No, I think I think part of what you're talking about here is that like you're in you even said it in your in your letter at the end of like I feel so caught in the middle and caught within myself, which is absolutely understandable because you are caught between these two different understandings of the world where you're you've been socialized and seen the world in a particular way around like grand gestures and like sweeping romance and like what is life without constant passion and you're like that's not working for me so I'm going to try and shift to a different place and now you're in the the work of like making yourself believe that right you're in the work of practicing that thing over and over again so that it becomes more familiar to you so yeah it's going to be like I'm trying to believe that my partner is offering me freedom and is like doing me a kindness by not telling me I'm the only reason he's alive or by telling me like you're the only thing that'll ever make me happy or all of those things. And I the process of believing that is going to take time, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to take more time to be able to settle in, to be internalized. And you're like just in that messy middle piece of it. So as this stuff is coming up where you're you're experiencing that freedom as rejection or apathy, like how can you continue to remind yourself and say like, yep, remember, this is the thing that we we know, which is that this isn't rejection. This is about him offering me freedom. This Mm. is the thing that I've been looking for and asking for. And it feels uncomfortable and weird and it feels really familiar, but in like a bad way. But yes, of course it does. Of course, that's how I'm feeling, because this is the way that I've been socialized. This is the thing that I'm growing out of and this new thing that I'm growing into. So give yourself grace for the fact that like, yeah, this old stuff's going to come up. It's going to continue to come up. And the work isn't to like suddenly be reborn and have an entire new worldview and like nothing is triggering ever again. But instead, recognizing that like, yeah, you are a person that has 
a whole life that you've lived and things that you have taught and experiences that you've had. And you're trying something different, but that doesn't mean the old stuff's going to go away immediately. Mm. And that it's not just going to like come back like a, like a man flying in from Austria. Like our feelings about how people interact with us are still going to come up for us. But just like you did with him where you said, this isn't it. And I don't want this. You can also start to say that to the feelings that are coming up for you as well to say like, ah, yes, I recognize you. I remember you. Yeah, this isn't this isn't the place for you. I see yeah. you and I feel you and I believe you and I know that this is understandable and I I know that this is a legitimate feeling and I'm going to choose something else. I'm going to try this other thing that I've been working on, this other thing that I've been implementing in my life. I I feel very kindred with this description too of of misinterpreting my partner's independence as a rejection and I'm curious as to whether or not you believe in attachment styles um and if if you are uh, you have an anxious attachment style perhaps um because i i see that same mental labor in my own relationship where if my partner is fine without me if my partner is not affirming that I'm doing it right, as you said, that I am desirable, that I am making the right choice, um, or or if it's not all like fireworks and fanfare, I get afraid that I've done something wrong. I get afraid that that, that love, that security is gone. Um, and I need to, I don't know, either affirm myself or reach out to my partner, which is a great reminder that like, a check out attachment style see if you connect with an anxious attachment style and also that keep keep opening up to your partner keep opening up to this stable secure loving partner that you have to ask for reassurance to say like mm. i'm feeling like i when you move to independence that I've done something wrong, you know, like make sure that you're allowing yourself to be vulnerable and open with this partner um, because you don't have to, you're, you're learning all of these new things and you don't necessarily have to do it alone. Um, you're worthy of the support of your boyfriend just because you are confused about, you know, what you want and the, the excitement of it all doesn't mean it's an unworthy um, hurdle that you have to solve by yourself. I also think that we societally could like rethink passion. I started on this and then like, you know, got a little distracted. <laughs> but well, you started thinking about budgets. So yeah, they're just so hot. Just like, um, uh. <laughs> yeah. It sounds to me that a lot of your past relationships, especially with this Austrian man, could include some pretty intense like love bombing, like the intensity of you know, seeing somebody for one day and then staying together for a week. Trust me, been there, done that. But that's also like, surprisingly, that's not like a very great sampling of that person. It's like a, it's, it's a magical sampling. It's a sampling where like you meet somebody on vacation and you only get to see their vacation self, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And, it sounds like you had a lot of like highs and lows and extremes of, oh my God, we have to make this work or I'm going to, I don't know what, leave the country on a whim or whatever the fuck you did. And <laughs> our brains, our hearts, like unraveling things like love bombing and unraveling things like these, these high peaks and, and low lows 
it is really hard. It's there's there's almost like an addiction to that high high that reinforces the anxious attachment style that reinforces this fear based love hunger, you know, that like, if I do something wrong, I'm going to lose it. Um, and I feel for you, that's, it's, it's a, it's a lot to unravel. Yeah. Cause I think that, you know, like life doesn't usually afford many of us the opportunity to, to be passion all the time. <laughs> right. Mm. Like, because like, I don't, our pets get sick or like mm. somebody has got to make dinner or like, you know, we might lose our job or like we might need to yeah. go back to school or whatever it is. Right. Like it's the realities of life don't always allow for a hundred percent passion. Sometimes it does. Right. Like for some people who just like walk in the light and apparently have like very strong safety nets. Walk in the light. They can be what are we vampires? <laughs> yeah. <sighs> <laughs> um, so the the reality is that like most often the relationships that are most sustainable for us don't look like passion all the time. And that doesn't mean that you can't ask your partner for more passion, right? Yeah. That doesn't mean that you can't ask your partner for more travel or for whatever it is that that equates to passion for you. Like those are reasonable things for you to ask. And it's also reasonable for you to like have an understanding that like it's impossible for this relationship to be 100% passionate all the time, which may not have been the case for your your previous relationships. But I'll say too, like I don't have an anxious attachment style and I still feel rejected when my partner wants to do things independently from me, right? Like Fascinating. I think it's a very, very yeah. normal thing, right? When Peter's like, I'm gonna i I'm gonna skip the event tonight because I wanna like spend time alone or right. like I'm gonna go hang out with these people and not with those people. I am like deeply offended sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm like, oh so you don't want to spend time with me? And then yeah, I yeah. have to remind myself like that is not what he's saying. <laughs> what yeah. he's saying is he wants some alone time or what he's saying is he wants to go do this other thing instead. Um, but I think that that feeling is really normal. And like I said, the, the, the point isn't to get rid of the feeling. The point is to recognize the feeling for what it is, which is like the hurt part of us trying to tell us something of yeah. like, oh, this person's going to leave you or, oh, this person doesn't like you or this person secretly is mad at you. Right. When it doesn't, we don't need to listen to that. It's like a false alarm bell that's going off. Yes. But the point isn't to like take down the whole system. It's to be like, yep, I know that this is happening. I've recognized this. This is, this is familiar to me and I'm choosing to do something different about it rather than give in to that fear. So we joked about budgeting being like a hot passion <laughs> of mine, but I, yeah. I, maybe we can talk about like, well, what, how are we reframing passion to in our long-term committed relationships you know and this obviously is dependent on like the our desire for passion and our personal definition of it but i think it's like probably a good thing that we could muse upon so for you sam like is there do you want passion in your relationship is there passion and how does it show up i guess mm -hmm. yeah um like i said i'm not a super spontaneous person so like passion has been something that hasn't driven my life in a while but um you know i think of like passion or the strength of my relationship in mm. lots of different ways. Um, and I think like, I understand that Peter loves me through a lot of different ways. Mm. Um, and that's like very clearly expressed to me in the way that he takes care of things 
for me around the house in the way that he talks to me in the way that he thanks me for things in the way that we like communicate with each other about like where we are and like what the plan is <laughs> like just the way in which we have created this space where we're we're making decisions and we're doing things with each other in mind mm. right like we're 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 not just like doing things we are doing things independently yes and we're recognizing that the decisions that we're making have implications for both of us. Yes. So we're like wow. communicative wow. about those those decisions that we're making. And I also think like one of the things that that I'm trying out is uh, just like a lot more physical touch, not yeah. like sexual touch, but just like a lot more of like, how am I making sure that I am touching Peter more often when we're in the kitchen together or yes. when we're sitting on the couch or when we're going for a walk um, as a way to convey my love to him and also like remind myself of like the physical presence of both of us yes, right? totally. like in this relationship totally. and the fact that we're here and that we're in bodies and that like touch feels good even if it's not sexual touch yes. it, like it feels really really good so that's that is some passion thing that I'm trying out, recognizing that I'm not like the most excited and spontaneous person in the I world. I love that and I love that you said you were like, how I measure passion in a relationship. And then you you edited yourself and said something like, I measure the strength of my relationship. And I actually think that's like a really beautiful way to look at passion. You know, as, as somebody can be passionate about their job. Somebody can be passionate about gardening. Somebody can be, pa I, like the vision that comes to mind is like somebody who's really passionate at like pottery, at like m making... Mm -hmm. Uh, throwing pots on a, on a pottery wheel, you know, it's not always sandy sex on the beach, right? It's not always a high peak and low valley extreme. Pa passion can be commitment to something. I'm, th I'm picturing the potter, you know, really like working and making something great and like being really committed to their craft, you know? Mm -hmm. And I love what you said about passion being your ability to make decisions for one another something that like makes me feel passionately for my wife is that I know she makes decisions that prioritizes our family you know our comfort mm -hmm. our time together and that makes me passionate for her you know like wow I can't <laughs> believe you're building you're working this hard you're you are that artist working on your craft committing to your craft um, and committing this time, energy, thoughtfulness to our life together. It's not, mm -hmm. oh my God, you filled my house with roses. It's not, oh my God, you didn't talk to me for four days and now you're telling me how sorry you are. You know, you're, right. now you're not doing these grand gestures to, to, to show me how much you love me. It is the foundational decisions and choices that you're making to build our life together. Like that is some mm -hmm. hot, sexy, sex on the beach passion for me <laughs> and our budget is part of that let me just tell you <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely don't want to lose track of the budget <laughs> yeah uh anyway um okay that was helpful for me to like reframe that a little for our letter writer and for myself <laughs> mm -hmm. um okay my darling uh i know we just did a bunch of musings but it sounds like that is right up your alley so we hope that this adds to your conversations with yourself with your partner with your therapist and we hope this helps Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing. We love you. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Our next letter comes from Anonymous Anonymous, whose pronouns are they, them, and who is writing from Exhausted. Hi, Sam and Sierra. Any advice for what to do when your best friend gets back together with a toxic ex? Mm. For context, my friend broke up with their partner a year ago. In the year prior to the breakup, I provided a lot of emotional support and feedback to my friend as they dealt with some pretty abusive behaviors from their ex. And in the year following their breakup, I provided even more emotional support and money as my friend was emotionally and financially shattered by the whole situation. I did not quite overextend myself, but I got close. However, it brought me joy to see someone I love slowly recovering and experiencing healthier relationships and situations, and to know that I would remain consistently supportive while other friends and family shut them out in frustration and they became isolated. It was a relief as we came to talk about that relationship less and less because this friend is one of my favorite people I have ever met and I love to be around them, but Mm -hmm. their ruminating and extensive verbal processing around the relationship could be draining. However, a year later, they started to incrementally re-engage with the ex. This has led to my friend receiving a lot of backlash from friends and family. I let my friend know that I love them and will stay friends with them no matter what happens, but don't have a much emotional bandwidth to discuss that particular relationship anymore going forward. Hmm. My friend has understood and respected this, but the romantic relationship has become increasingly more serious and it feels hard to ultimately avoid hearing about their again partner completely. I guess I am genuinely struggling with the fact that one of my favorite friendships may regress in terms of how fun and Mm. organic it is for me. Mm. The alternative in my mind is that to be more willing to engage and hear about the relationship so that we can have unbridled conversation again. But at the moment, this does not feel like something I can do without becoming frustrated and resentful. Their dynamic has been troubling and I'm very tired of talking about it. But at the same time, I'm worried for my friend because it feels inevitable that their ex will hurt them again probably in a very protracted and drawn out way. And I want to remain a source of emotional connection while not becoming overburdened myself. I also feel frustrated because I had a friendship with their ex while they were together last, which I happily let drop when they broke up. This is not a person I want back in my life, but these two are pretty historically enmeshed. And I feel like staying friends with my BFF will inevitably inevitably bring that back into my sphere in a way that I don't want. Any thoughts or suggestions are much appreciated. Love you guys and always appreciate your advice. Thank you so much for writing and trusting us with this heartache. Cause it is a heartache, right? Even if it's mm. not a romantic one. Um, I guess I will start by saying it's okay to feel like, I'm not sure what the right word is. Like <laughs> buyer's remorse is coming to mind, but that's like not it. <laughs> but like, let's use that as a, as a placeholder um you know it's okay to feel like sort of a buyer's remorse for all the work and labor and love and energy that you put into 
making you and this friendship a safe space for this friend to grow and heal in. Um, that doesn't make you a bad friend. It's like a very natural thing to be like, what what happened to, what about all this work that I did? Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't make you a bad friend and their current choices don't make your energy wasted. Also, I know that you made a really safe space for them and you made their healing and their independence a lot more easy or accessible during that time. And also just because they are making a different decision as independent autonomous adults tend to do, it doesn't mean all of that energy of yours was wasted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think knowing all of that, it's also okay to, to mourn this relationship and mourn the love and labor you put into trying to help your friends find a safer and healthier place. And that that feels like it's being compromised. Like it's okay to, to really sit in the discomfort and sadness of the fact that like, it's really challenging to watch our friends and loved ones do things that we think are, is going to cause them active harm. Um, and, and to realize and recognize that like, there's really nothing we can do about it. It's really outside of our, our hands and that they get to decide what they want to do with their life. Even if that means that that is going to cause them active harm. Mm. Um, and like, like you said, you're losing a friend in this as the situation is going on, because, you know, you have some clear and really, I think, understandable boundaries around like not wanting to talk about this and also like not wanting this person who you don't like and who has caused active harm to to the people, the at least one person that you love, that you don't want that person back in your life. And so like that's changing the the reality of your relationship um, in a way that means that you're losing something for sure. Like and I don't want to gloss over that. And I want you to to recognize that and embrace that so that you can give yourself the space to really mourn the fact that that this is changing, right? And like change is inevitable for sure, but this is really hard and challenging and it's okay yeah. to feel sad about it. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be all of those things, right? It's not okay to like enact harm on somebody with <laughs> your feelings about it, but it's okay to to really miss this person or miss the the times when you didn't have to talk about this relationship or miss the times when you didn't have to have this person in your life. Um, and it's okay. That's not a selfish thing to do to, to sit in that, that sadness or to recognize that how challenging and painful this is. Right. Cause all of those different experiences can exist at the same time. And your experience of sadness about this doesn't negate your friends. It doesn't right. make theirs any less real to them. Right. And honestly, you might not totally be losing this friendship, but you are losing this version of this friendship. We we kind of right. always shed our skins. I think of it that way. Like our friendships always evolve and change and ebb and flow and come in and out of our lives as we grow and change and our friends grow and change. And so you, like Sam said, you can definitely mourn this iteration of your friendship and maybe the whole friendship, who knows? I mean, maybe you are tapped out and, and that's okay too. I love mm -hmm. that boundary that you set as initially, as they started talking to their ex again of just like, Hey, you know, like I love and respect you and your choices, but I can't be there the way I was before. Um, and I just want to say, like, you have every right to reinforce that boundary multiple times because we're all humans. We're all growing and learning. And 
um, and failing regularly. And we need reminding. We need reminders of how we can better love and respect one another. So if you want to say again, like, hey, this has been on my heart. I feel like I'm afraid of losing you like I lost you or mm-hmm. I feel conflicted because of all the work we did. I still respect you, but, but yada, yada, you know, you just, you have every right to restate this, is, restate this to this person. And also I don't want, I don't know the scope of their relationship. I'm not in it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The, I don't know anything about the relationship. So don't take this as me defending the relationship whatsoever. I, take it as like a potential reframing of like, this will allow me to better let this go. Your friend is responding to a fuller scope of this human being. It might be a shittier scope. You know, it might be <laughs> a, a more toxic understanding of this person and that they have, you know, they really have their talents in them and they are inevitably going to get hurt again, you know, or they are responding to intimate conversations that you haven't been privy to this Mm -hmm. is all to say you can you can wash your hands of it and say um i will be there for my friend um in the capacity that feels healthy for me if this goes sour but until then until this friend tells me they need help or whatnot i'm just gonna trust them and be there for them and make sure that they know i'm a safe space i don't know i i Mm -hmm. I feel conflicted because it's like, you don't want to ever send a friend back to somebody who's going to abuse them. You don't want to be like, I'm cool with this. Right. But we also see so often that like intervening doesn't make the person want to come to you when they really need help. Do you know what I mean? Like there, I feel inarticulate because I'm trying to say the right thing. Um, And I'm also trying to give you letter writer permission to say like, I can't do this again. So maybe mm-hmm. you can help Sam. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think that that's the unfortunate and uncomfortable place to have to sit in this too, right? Where it's like, it's not your job to do unending emotional labor so that this person, your friend, can continue to be in this relationship with this person, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And there is a line between like, how are you enabling them to like, be in this toxic relationship because they have like an outlet to like put all of the toxicity or like funnel all of that toxicity into. And also recognizing that like, you're going to be there for them if they really need help. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think one of the things that we can do is, or that, that you might consider doing is like saying some of this directly to them and then trying some boundaries out. What does it look like to not talk about the relationship? What does it look like to not see this person? And recognize that boundaries can shift and adapt as the context changes too, right? So sometimes I think we think about boundaries as as like, okay, well, I've got to be, I got to have this boundary and I've got to maintain this boundary 100% all the time and it can never change. And if it changes, Mm -hmm. then somehow I've done something wrong. That doesn't have to be the case, right? Like we can decide today that, talking about this relationship isn't helpful. And then we can say next week, actually, I think we should talk about it because I'm, I, you sound excited or whatever it is. But I do think having this conversation and making sure that your friend knows that like you are there for them if, if they need you in ways of like 
extracting themselves from this relationship or in ways where they like need to to do something different. But in this moment, you're having a hard time trusting that this relationship is going to be different than it was last time. Yes, that's and it. you're willing to give the benefit of the doubt and like see what happens. But in this moment, you don't want to hear about what the relationship is going on or like in this moment, you're not interested in spending any time with their current partner. Um, but I think the the moral of the story is that like, this is really complicated and messy. There's no like clear right or wrong answer to how you're going to handle this situation. Um, and I want you to make sure, cause it sounds like you have almost overextended yourself mm -hmm. in this relationship that you're thinking about that and recognizing that that pattern has come up for you in the past and that maybe it's time to try something new. Maybe it's time to err on the side of more boundaries, too many boundaries. And then you can always find a place in the middle if that's not working either. Um, but you have, you have my permission, not that it matters, but you have like, you have the authority, let's say mm -hmm. to enact these boundaries. And it doesn't make you a bad person. And it doesn't mean that you're like throwing your friend to the wolves, right? Cause they are also an autonomous human and who's making their own choices about right. this kind of stuff. And you will be there for them. If things go south, I right. have that faith in you because do you've already too. done it. Yes. Right. But that doesn't mean that you have to be there sort of enabling and supporting something that you don't think is really good or healthy for them. So know that, that things are going to change. Know that you have the permission, the authority to change as those, those additional context comes in, as you learn more things um, and that you don't have to do it right or perfect right now in this moment, you can just try something. Yes. And you can just find what feels okay for today and figure out what feels okay for tomorrow when tomorrow comes. Yes. I love that. Thank you so much for articulating that so well. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like growth and compassion for all can exist at the same time. Um, and mm -hmm. we have a hard time because we see boundaries and right and wrong so rigidly um, that we don't always like extend that same, I don't know, compassion to ourselves. For sure. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for writing and thank you to Sam for being articulate. <laughs> I, have a, I have a newborn, so I have a pass for like the next, yeah, I don't no, know, legit. 18 years. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Thank you. <laughs> we love you so much. We love you. Thanks so much for writing. All right, everyone. This brings us to the blind date segment of our episode. This is when we try and set you up with something we think you're really going to like. And this week we want to send you home with. Okay, so it is a docu-series um, on HBO Max called Not So Pretty. It's narrated by Kiki Palmer, and it's, quote, from their website, the first ever comprehensive large-scale investigative expose on the trillion-dollar cosmetic, beauty, and nail care industry. I really enjoyed it. It's like four um, episodes of this like mini-series, essentially, one on makeup products, nail products, skin, and hair care. And um, I thought that it was super intersectional and like self-aware, and it covered a lot of the like basically ugly truths behind the products that we use every day. Um, the history of like crazy pro like hella problematic cover-ups from these industries, you know, like Johnson and Johnson, major hair care and makeup products, uh, L'Oreal, um, uh, Clinique, you know, the, these, the industry and the lack of regulation. Um, it's just like this nasty combination. And we put these products on us, every day. I found it really fascinating and it like prompted me to 
download an app that you can like scan your products and see what harmful ingredients are in them. And it was like terrifying. I won't get into it, but um, <laughs> it was like super fucking problematic and terrifying. Um, uh, just like, I don't know the, what capitalism and other oppressive forces have done to um, industries basically that allows them to put really harmful chemicals um, in our stuff and have no accountability to it. So that's like mm. the really quick TLDR on that. Um, if you're interested in it, it's called Not So Pretty. It's on HBO. Um, the app that I downloaded to like look at all of my personal products is called Yucca or Yucca, Y-U-K-A. Um, it was free. You can just like scan your face wash and see if there are harmful chemicals in it, chemicals that are like rated on a scale from like mild to moderate harm. Um, and if they're like, I don't know, cancer causing or um, known allergens or whatever. So again, not so pretty on HBO Max. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes. But most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. Please remember to subscribe or follow and leave us a five-star rating and review and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode that's patreon.com slash just break up pod this literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more broken-hearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice just break up is a production of duvid media original music recording editing producing all magical things by our good friend spencer worth davis aka big cats make sure to check out his newest podcast finding quantum quest wherever you listen to your podcasts and remember your mistakes don't define you because compassion and growth can exist at the same time. Accountability can exist at the same time. You can trust the process and celebrate yourself for your progress. And also you can try harder. You can put in an effort and you can recognize that that effort is enough. And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs>